0: Yes, yes. Thank you, Lord. We thank you for Ian, God. We, we thank you for um, just your voice inside of him, God. And we thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you for your truth, Amen. Jesus. I pray, I pray right now that that you would anoint his words, that that he would hear you clearly, and that God, that all of our hearts would be so open, it would be like like good soil, um, like to receive the seed and to receive what you've laid on his heart, and that it would it would grow into great fruit in us, Lord. That would reflect you. Uh, in, a, in a more pure and spotless way. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, David. Okay. Start the timer. Not that I ever look at it. Good morning, everybody. So, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Ian. I am one of the elders um, in Josh Jane. And um If you ever notice, and for those that are relatively new, you maybe haven't seen me do this before, but if you ever see me sitting at the AV desk during worship or during announcements, it means I no longer have a prepared sermon and I'm busy preparing what God has just told me. So God started talking to me about 6.30 this morning, and um, I was quite settled. I saw David on Friday. We were planning the meeting, and I said to David, you know, my, my message on Sunday is so vanilla it's actually just going to be quite a, a tame, lame little message. Let's do it before worship, because it's actually not going to be like that big a deal. I'm going to share a few things, and then we'll go into worship, and then God will take off, and then, and then God changed the message completely. So I have a title for it. I actually don't know if it's going to work. But the title of the message is, What is a Deacon? So it was just going to be a, quite a basic teaching on what is a deacon. And um, it is now become slightly different, so I'm going to leave the title as it is, but, but what I do want to say is, I am going to say some things this morning that some of you might find quite controversial, and if you find what I say controversial, that's okay, because there's scripture. So I'm really trusting that I don't offend anybody this morning, so if you're offended, please come and talk to me afterwards so that I can, so we can process, because I don't want to offend anybody this morning, because I am not the rock of offense. But I might say some things where you're like, whoa, I don't know if I agree with that. I said a few things earlier to like two or three people. One nodded, the other stepped back. So we'll see how we go. Um, But this this message, uh, I'm I'm pulling from a few sources. One of them is Brad Verena, um, who is an elder in Oxygen Life. He's also a recognized apostle in the 412 Apostolic uh, Partnership. Um, Another person that I am gleaning from, because, you know, in the kingdom, there's no such thing as plagiarism. There's just (laughs) gleaning, because like like King Solomon said, there is nothing new under the sun, so it all came from Jesus. So if I quote somebody else, it's still from Jesus. (laughs) But anyway, the the other person that I'm gleaning from um, is Nadine, who's up in Joburg, one of our deacons, which is very apt because I'm talking about deacons and I'm quoting a deacon. So that seems like a safe place to go. But the reason I wanted to do this message is because as you saw during the video, there are a whole bunch of new elders and deacons that we want to bring into Josh Chen. And and maybe you're coming from another church and, and they did it differently where you came from. And you're like, why did they put all these people up? On the board, I mean, most of you would be like, I don't even know these people. I was looking at the board. I'm like, I don't even know most of the people that they put up there. And then Lorian turns to me and she says, I don't even know half these congregations they're <laughs> mentioning. <laughs> this is a big church. It is a big church. So why do we put these names and faces up on the screen? And the reason we do that is because we take leadership very, very, very seriously. And as you saw, the last couple they put up, they said there, a couple being restored to eldership. That's how seriously we take leadership. We take leadership so seriously that if we see something on your life and God says, This man and this woman is called to this office, and we and we ask the church, and everybody's like, Yes, we see it too. And we pray them in. And if they step away. And Jesus says, take them down. We take them down again. Because that's how seriously we see leadership. All right. So, that, so I want to talk this morning about leadership. And it's going to be primarily about deacons. Because I realized that different... I researched. I went and I Googled. And I was like, what? <laughs> I typed this phrase into, into, into Google. And it, I said, what is a deacon? And it's going to be quite interesting what I found, because I don't normally do that. I do normally go to the Bible. But I was like, hey, what does the world say a deacon is? And I found an interesting term, which I've never heard before. And the term, and I'm jumping all over my notes, so I, I don't even know where I put this in my notes. But it is there was a term called a transitionary deacon. A transitionary deacon. And a transitionary deacon is somebody who is at seminary studying to be a priest and while they're studying they become a transitionary deacon and when they finish studying they got ordained as a priest and they see it as a stepping stone and i want to say one of the controversial things that you might find controversial it's not actually controversial that i'm going to say this morning is that being a deacon is not a stepping stone (coughs) sorry it's not a stepping stone to eldership and I'll come back to that later. Right, but I'm going to ask for the deacons in the house, if you guys can stand. When I say the deacons in the house, I mean there are deacons in Josh Jen across the whole of Josh Jen. So we've got Devin and Louise and Ava. Ava's not a deacon, but I did want to just mention Ava. Welcome, Ava, to your first ever church service. It is amazing to have you. Please fill in a form. <laughs> okay, we've got, and we've got John and Corneille and we've got David up at the front. Like I said, we've got Nadine, we've got we've got Melandi at the back, and... Madhava is running around with children. You guys can sit. Thanks, guys. That's amazing. And we got Nsiki and B. Come on now. (laughs) And this is a scary moment for them because I'll tell you what they've already been through. They've already been through a conversation with me, which is scary enough as things go. They then had to fill in a form And that form was about, where is your heart at? This is how seriously we take it. This is not like, hey, how much money have you given? Hey, how many people have you seen saved? Hey, how many things have you done? No, no, this is a form of, where is your heart? Are you for Jesus? Are you on fire for Jesus? Is what's in you going to impact the church for God's glory? So they had to fill fill in some paperwork, and then the elders went through all the paperwork, and then they had to meet um, with Joey and Donna from Sunningdale AM. They used, to, they used to run the PM congregation, and they had to be interviewed. This sounds overkill. And now we put them up on the screen, not just in Millington, but across 44 congregations. 5,000 people this morning and this evening will see their faces. Seems a little bit of overkill, doesn't it? <laughs> but this is how seriously we take leadership. And the reason we take leadership this seriously is because we are doing our best as Josh Jen to follow God's pattern. This is not about us. This isn't the Josh Jen way of doing things. This is God's biblical Pattern. And so I'm going to keep on pointing us back to scripture where I can. I won't put all the scriptures up because then we'll be here till this afternoon. But I want to keep on pointing us back to scripture. But this is a very weighty thing to do things God's way. In fact, it's a very scary thing to do things God's way. And a bunch of guys got together on Monday night. And we were talking about men and godly men. And then we were talking about doing things God's way. And then we got to talking about a very strange topic about in most households, the husband drives the car. And for some of you, that might not be controversial. But we got into this topic of husbands drive cars. And then we had the privilege of having somebody from financial services sitting in on that conversation. And he was able to say to us, it's very interesting Because we started talking about how, why do men drive? Because statistically speaking, according to insurance companies, women are better drivers. (laughs) So why in every household, not every household, but in a lot of households, why do the men drive? And we did a quick survey amongst the seven of us, and most of us didn't actually know why we drove, we just did. (laughs) So this isn't about why men drive. But here's the scary thing. Why are women... Why are women better drivers than men? And this is a generalization, so please don't get offended with me. This is not the controversial part. But generally, generally, women are better drivers because they have better impulse control. They're less likely to want to dice with the car next to them. (laughs) They're less likely to want to weave through the traffic. I'm not saying this is all women. I'm sure there are exceptions on both sides of the fence. But generally speaking, and then that got me thinking, okay, so men have impulse control issues. Men want to always get there first. How many, how many times have you seen a guy, like, drive up behind you and want to get past you, and it's like, I want to get there ahead of you? Th- this is the character of men. And then God's pattern in the church is to make eldership male. Because based on logic, as I've just, based on insurance companies, it would be better... To put women into leadership, because men struggle with impulse control. Men struggle with wanting to put themselves first. Men struggle with ego. And yet God's pattern is male eldership. So following God's pattern is scary. And yet if we follow God's pattern, we get Jesus. We get the life, the abundance of life of Jesus. And so we want to follow God's pattern. So in 1 Corinthians 3, I'm not going to put it up on the screen, but Paul actually says, I am a master builder. God has called me, the Apostle Paul, I don't think he called himself the Apostle Paul, he probably just said Paul, a master builder. And I want to build in the way that God orders his church, in, which, in the way that God orders his things to be. And then, if we look further on in Philippians 1, verse 1, when Paul writes a letter to the church in Philippi, he addresses it to the saints, but then he also recognizes some other people. And he says, To the saints, which is the church, and also the overseers, who are the elders. He calls them overseers. He's not just like the people. He's like the the people who oversee the saints. And then he says, and the deacons. And so what that tells us is that according to Scripture, according to God's pattern, elders are an office in the church and deacons are an office in the church. And that is a weighty thing Because when God puts something on somebody, when he gives someone a responsibility, he expects them to carry that responsibility. And so every person that we put up on the screen, we want, we're not putting it up there because we just want to go through the motions. We want to get feedback. If you know those people that we put up there and you are not convinced of their character in God, we want you to come and speak to us. And I know how this process goes because it happened to me. The first time my picture went up on the screen, I think there were somewhere between six and 10 people went to the elders. (laughs) And the next time that the pictures went up on the screen, the Yonkers were not there. <laughs> and they, it, was, it, it was interesting because we processed it. We processed it after that. And it was, it was, what was very interesting for me is the six to ten people who came forward, none of their issues were valid. And we spoke about it with the elders and they were like, it seems like God is busy working on your heart there. And we call that one the overlook test. (laughs) And so we had to weigh in our hearts and carry it through. So so we take this thing very seriously. And like I said, um, and we can put up Acts chapter 6, and we'll get to verse 7 later on, but we can just start Acts chapter 6 verse 1. But but what I want to say is if we build according, according to God's pattern, beautiful things Happen, And we've been talking about salvations. We've been talking about seeing people healed, seeing people saved, and we want more of it. But God says before he will let people get saved, he needs to build a safe place, a safe haven for them to go to. He wants to draw them into family. He doesn't just want responses. And so he put a pattern in place of elders and deacons that create a place of safety him to send souls to. And so we're going to read in, chapter, in Acts chapter 6, and I'll read it off the screen. It says, yeah, Now in these days, so you can see Acts chapter 6, it's early on. The Pentecost has just happened. The church is growing rapidly. I think the, the 3,000 have joined, the 5,000 have joined. So when I say rapidly, it's a, it's a blatant understatement. Like the church is now at least 8,000 people, it's huge. It grew from 100 people, 150 people. There were still just the 12 elders, but we've got 8,000 people now calling themselves um, members of the way. He says, Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, and then they chose all these different people we can skip on. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. And we can leave it there. You can leave that up. And so I want to unpack that quickly. But what you saw is in the beginning, in verse 1, it says the church was growing. But then it says here, there was an increase. And not just growing, but it says here, the number of the disciples multiplied. And so one of the first things we see here is that when we follow God's pattern, and God's pattern in this moment was through the apostles, he appointed, well, he appointed seven men because they didn't actually name them. They didn't give them labels back then. They weren't big on labels. They weren't even called Christians back then. They were just members of the way. But, but they appointed seven men. And once they followed that pattern that God had given them, God multiplied the people that were getting saved. So people were no longer just being added to their number. People were being multiplied. So if there were 8,000, even 8,000 times two, 8,000 times three, it's a crazy thought, but this is the pattern of Scripture. And so if we pull a few things out of there that I want to pull out of what we are saying, you can, you can drop that now. Thanks, Lauren. But if I break it down, so the first thing I want to say is there was a complaint between two racial groups in the church. This was in the church. So there was a racial conflict happening in the church. And the reason I'm pointing out that there was a racial conflict happening in the church is that in South Africa, we have a very solid understanding of racial tension. It's unfortunate, but it's true. And so what I, well, the reason I want to bring that up is that often... We will go into churches, or we will have a thinking in our upbringing of when the apostles appointed the 12, you just stick onto the one line where it says, it is not good for us to wait on tables. So then they summarize deacons into waiters. Now, I don't know, Jethro, I know has been a waiter. I don't know how many of you have been a waiter. But when you guys signed up to be a waiter, was the qualification for waitering... There we go. Pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom. Seems a little bit of an overkill for waiting tables. I've never sat at a restaurant and said, can you please just tell me about your wisdom before you serve me? It's not going to happen. So we need to be very careful that we don't simplify the role of the deacon as the usher as the one who hands out the tithe box, as the one who does the AV, or the worship team. Because in some churches, it has been watered down to a point where a deacon is one who serves, full stop. And that's not the biblical pattern. Because the first seven who were appointed were appointed with the small task of resolving and reconciling a racial conflict which is impossible outside of the church, and yet the apostles were like, we'll get some other guys to look after it. They'll do great. And so the calling of deaconship is huge, and I'll get into that more. But there was an anointing and being prayed in, which we believe in, and an impartation of the office, which we believe in, and they were set apart because they said to the church, Give us seven people, and they were set apart. And I think they, had a, they were part of the selection process, but the, ch- the gathering agreed. The gathering was happy with what they'd done, and that's why we ask. We put the pictures up there. Again, it's a biblical picture of as, the, as together. Are we happy? So if you're not convinced that deacons are anything special, let me give you some other exploits that they did. If I look at just two of the seven... And I'm looking at Acts chapter 8. Again, we're not going to put it up on the screen. Stephen was one of the deacons. Stephen was a theologian. He was a theologian that I would argue competed with Paul. And Paul was one of the greatest theologians ever. And the reason I say that he competed with the apostle Paul is that Stephen, through the Holy Spirit, started waxing lyrical about Jesus. And the people, the Jews, got so angry with him that they didn't just walk away. They put their fingers in their ears and they started shouting so they couldn't hear what he was saying. That's how powerful what he was saying was. And then without like, hey, maybe we should just check him out again, give him some place to cool down, maybe he will change his tack, they dragged him outside and killed him. And I know that these Jews that did this were not small fries. Why do I know this? Because when they all took off their, their outer garments so they didn't get blood on it for the stoning, whose feet did they put the outer garments at? The feet of Saul. Saul was there. Saul heard what Stephen said. That's how powerful Stephen's theology was. And yet God was okay to say, hey, it's okay. I'll have others. He can come be with me. I'll allow this to happen. Then you got Philip. Now, Philip for me always reminds me of Julian Goldswain, for those of you who know Julian Goldswain. But Philip is like, if, if you ever have spirit envy, spirit envy is like when you want what somebody else has in the Lord. We're not supposed to have that. But if you ever had it, I've only, there's only one person I have spirit envy of, and that is that is Philip. And most of you know why I have spirit envy of Philip. It's because Philip is the first and only example I can find in the Bible. There might be others, but it's the only one that I can actually find. Somebody who teleported. (laughs) Because Philip was walking down a road and then he was suddenly in a town. I want that. It's so much cheaper to go on an outreach if you don't have to fly there. (laughs) But Philip, it says, was above reproach. He was an evangelist. He had seven daughters, and they were all prophets. And, and he wasn't just an evangelist. He was an evangelist when there was mass persecution. It's easy to tell people about Jesus when they're just going to ignore you. It's a bit scary to tell people about Jesus when your best friend Stephen just got killed. And yet Stephen was, I mean, Philip was known as an evangelist. So he never hid from persecution. He didn't love his life. This was the calling on the the standard of deacons. They didn't love their lives. They went out, and then where they went. So Philip goes into Samaria, and there are signs and there are wonders. Up until this point, the only people we see in, in Acts operating in signs and wonders is Jesus and the apostles. And the apostles pray for the deacons, and suddenly you start seeing signs and wonders in Samaria and in the surrounding towns. And so here's the question, time to get controversial. What is the difference between an apostle and a deacon? Because if you read Acts chapter 6 through chapter 8, there's not much. There's not much. I'm not saying there isn't. I'm not getting that controversial. There is a difference, and I'll get into it. But it's not as much as we make it out to be. It's a very, very high calling. And so if, if we talk about it in Josh Jen's standings, City Bowl, which I was a part of when it was planted, was planted by a deacon. They sent an elder afterwards. And that's what happens in Acts. The deacons go out. The life of God breaks out. The people of God start meeting together. And the apostles in Jerusalem are like, oh, (laughs) we better send some people there. And Peter starts traveling and John starts traveling and they go out. And people get baptized and elders get appointed and, and life starts breaking out. But that is what happens. The life of God breaks out when deacons walk in their calling. All right, so let's very quickly move on to what is the qualification of a deacon? Because, again, what is a deacon? I do want to talk about what a deacon is. So it is a calling, and we can put up 1 Timothy 3. It's a calling. It is by the will of God. And this is the best part for people like me. It has absolutely nothing to do with your ability. So is the only reason I'm an elder. Because <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's not about ability. So let's read 1 Timothy 3. It says here, deacons likewise, when he says likewise, he's just written to them about the qualifications of an elder. And if you've got time after this, go home and go and read 1 Timothy 3. Start with the elders, then read the deacons, and play a game I like to play with the kids called spot the difference. (laughs) There isn't much. That's the hint. Deacons likewise must be diligent Not double tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Is there more? And let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. And it says here their wives, if you go and read up on this when it talks about their wives, it also says woman. And we know this isn't talking about just the wives of deacons, but you do get such a thing as a deaconess, and I'll come to that later as well. But when they're talking about the qualifications of an elder, they don't, say that they don't give you qualifications of, a, of an elder's wife. But in this passage, he does write to what is required of a female deacon. And so some translations like this one will say wives, and others will say women. And women, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, Faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. And so what you would have seen there is there is nothing there about ability, it is all about character. It's all about character. And now I'm going to say something that could be equally controversial, given what I've already just said, about how high the calling of a deacon is. The qualities of a deacon, the qualities of an elder that Paul writes about in 1 Timothy 3, is actually just the qualities of of a solid Christian. It says nothing there about teleporting, it says nothing there about planting churches, it says nothing there about what the fruit will look like, it just talks to character. And so all saints are called to that standard. None of us are called to sit in the back and listen and do nothing. We are all called to action. That is God's pattern. Man's pattern is find one guy who's super eloquent, put him in a nice suit, put him at the front of the church, build a building for thousands of people, and pull in the money. That's man's pattern. God's pattern for church is not like that. To Take the foolish things of the world, put them at front, give them a microphone, dress them in a hoodie. (laughs) The pattern of God is scary in in, in man's mind. But why do we do it this way? We do it this way because as we run as elders, as the deacons run, as we all run for Jesus, we set an example. We don't say, hey, stay behind me. I don't know if you guys remember when the disciples went to Jesus and they're like, hey, that oak over there, he's praying for for deliverance for that person. That's not fair. He's not part of us. And Jesus is like, oh, you don't know. (laughs) If he's praying in my name, he's part of us. We do not believe in a church where some do and others watch. We believe in a church where everybody is called by Jesus, by name, to do the things of God. And if you want to see more of this, we're not going to get into it now, but James, you can write this down, James chapter 2, verses 17 to 22, faith and good character will lead you to service. We're all called to service. You can go read Ephesians 5 and 6. And it starts with the wives, and then it talks about the husbands, and then it talks about the children, and then it talks about the parents, and then it talks about the employees, and then it talks about the employers. And then after he stirred us all up to show us that we all have more to do in this life, he then gives us the armor of God so that we can actually do it. It doesn't say the armor of God is set aside for the elders and deacons. No, for all of us, including the children, including the children, we are all called to serve. And a clarification, because this does cause a few people a bit of stress and tension on the female deacons. If we can put up Romans, I think I give you Romans 16.1. I just want to show in scripture because again, you might say to me, Ian, you're twisting 1 Timothy 3 to your own understanding, or people are uncertain on it. Romans 16, 1, again written by the Apostle Paul, so at least I'm being consistent here. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a diaconos of the church, a servant of the church, a diaconos of the church, and that is the technical Greek term for deacon. That is the root word in Greek for deacon that comes through there. And so I'm not a Greek scholar, don't worry, I'm not going to wax lyrical about the Greek now. But that is, is where we say, if you're going to set a doctrine, find two or three scriptures that support what you believe. All right, so I just wanted to put that out there as well in case that was... Okay, so I've told you that we're following God's pattern. I've told you where deacons come from out of Acts chapter 6, even though they didn't call them deacons yet but they did afterwards, and we've seen deacons in the Bible. I've told you the qualifications of a deacon, and so now all of you are patiently waiting for me to tell you what exactly is it that a deacon does? Because you know, as humans, if we can just understand something, if we can just take it and put it into a really small box and put it up on the shelf, we sleep so much better at night. So what is it that deacons do? And this is the part where it gets a bit interesting. I'll tell you what deacons don't do, because it's a much shorter list. (laughs) Deacons don't set direction. Deacons don't set doctrine. And deacons don't bring discipline. Full stop. The rest is fair game. Deacons don't bring direction. The elders do that. The elders hear God, and I'll show it to you in Scripture, and direct, direct the ways. The elders set the doctrine, which is set through Scripture anyway. So it's just helping decipher the Scripture. And they bring the discipline. And that when we're talking about discipline here, we're not talking about somebody takes you out for coffee and tells you you wear the wrong color shoes. I'm talking about when somebody is walking in unrepentant sin, And we've got to say to them, I'm sorry, you need to leave us. We can no longer be with you. And you can no longer be with us unless you repent. That is discipline. Everything short of that, a deacon can do. So a deacon can take somebody out for coffee and say, listen, the way you're living your life, the way you're treating your wife, the way you're bringing up your kids. And yes, even if they're unmarried. Yes, even if they don't have children. Why? Because they have got delegated authority. And so a deacon's job is not to be the robin to the elder's Batman. Deacons are not sidekicks. They are partners. Because they carry almost equal weighting of authority and responsibility. Almost. But they are called to come alongside the elders. To live the doctrine to step in the flow of the direction that the elders are running in, and to run with them and add their weight, to blow wind in the sails of the elders and collectively help us to go forward in Jesus. So deacons are an essential link. In fact, in, in 1 Corinthians 3, Paul says, I am a master builder as an apostle, I've heard it argue deacons are builders, too, because they are helping take the vision of the elders and building it in to the people of God. You can't all meet with Eddie, Jethro, and I on a weekly basis so we can build into you. There are others, including deacons and community leaders, that are constantly helping build the things of God into us. And so they bring—so they're culture carriers— They bring momentum, they're dynamic, and they build maturity into the people of God. They are not servants and maids to clean up after us and do what we need them to do. But let's get into delegated authority, because this one could get quite interesting. So I want to put up John 10, 2 and 3. Because I want to land this. This is me coming into a land, don't worry. I want to come into a land, but I want, to say, I want to show you why Jesus showed me. And this is something Jesus showed me last night. My kids were asking me some interesting questions, especially Gracie. She's the tricky one if you ever talk to her. <laughs> you, know, you know that your eight-year-old is about to turn nine when she starts a conversation with you and she says, Dad, can I ask you a question? But don't worry, you don't have to answer it immediately if you first have to go and check. So this is, this is, the, this is the, uh, the gospel of John. This is Jesus speaking, and he's speaking to the crowd, and he says, and he's talking about, sorry, let me give a bit of a backtrack. This is the passage of the good shepherd. Most of you would have heard the passage of the good shepherd. And it's John chapter 10. I'm just taking a little extract from it that I want to show you guys. And Jesus is the good shepherd, which makes us the, the sheep. But it says here, he who enters by the door Is the shepherd of the sheep. So who's he talking about? He's talking about himself. He's saying, I, Jesus, the shepherd of the sheep, enter by the door. To him the gatekeeper opens. Who's the gatekeeper? And then somebody will be, ah, it's the Holy Spirit. Oh, it's this. Oh, it's that. I'm the gatekeeper. This is about to get very scary. I'm the gatekeeper. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Is is that it? Is there more? Was that the two? No, no, no. So have you ever thought about this when you think of church authority? God has appointed me as the lead elder of this congregation. And what I'm about to say does not make me feel good. It freaks me out. So please hear this with all humility, and I'll show you in some other places why I believe what I believe. But this is a scary thing. This is why I don't want to be the lead elder of a church. But it says here, to him the gatekeeper opens. And a bit later on it says, the sheep know his voice. But then somebody else comes and tries to call them, a stranger comes. And the sheep don't follow the stranger because they don't know the stranger's voice. So, you ever thought about this? The voice you know is the voice that I allow you to know. That's what it means to be sheep in the sheepfold with a gatekeeper. This is why it doesn't make any sense for God to have elders and leaders in his church because he gives them delegated authority and he takes that delegated authority so seriously, this is the super controversial part, that even Jesus submits to that authority. Because Jesus doesn't come to the gates and open it himself. Jesus comes to the gatekeeper and says, hey, can I come in? And you're like, oh, Ian, I think you're taking it a bit far. Surely nobody can hold back Jesus. But because Jesus takes authority so seriously, he respects the authority of the people he gives it to. If you don't believe me, I'll show it to you. Revelation 2 verse 1. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, I write, dot, 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 dot. Who's the angel of the church of Ephesus? Angel is actually translated messenger. It's the lead elder. So when John writes the book of Revelation and he writes to the seven churches, unlike Paul who wrote to the church and the saints and then also the elders and deacons, when Jesus speaks to the seven churches, he speaks to one person. He speaks to the lead elder. And he says to the lead elder, you're getting it wrong, change what you're doing, or I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. You still don't believe me. <laughs> Revelation 3 verse 20. Behold, I, Jesus, stand at the door And knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him, and he with me. It is a scary, scary thing to be a leader in the church. Because I'm going to stand before Jesus one day, and he's going to say to me, Did you let me in amongst your people? Or did you hold me out? And there are churches out there today, unfortunately, that are strangers to Jesus. And the voice that they shepherd that they know, the voice that comes in that isn't the stranger, is Satan. There are people that call themselves Christians today that aren't following Jesus, because they're following what their itchy ears want them to hear. This is Scripture, this is not Ian. And so what I want to ask us this morning is if Jesus takes the authority of elders and deacons that seriously, do we? I told you it was going to get controversial. (laughs) Jesus in Revelation was going to visit His churches. They're His churches. Don't get me wrong. These are not, this is not my church. This is Jesus' church. And Jesus went around in Revelation, and he does a brand standard. Hey, who's, who's aligned with my pattern, with God's pattern of doing things? Who's with me? And who's against me? And don't think just because you've got the name on the door. So here's the scary thing. Bad leadership brings bad doctrine. And bad doctrine brings dead churches. And the reason that I'm bringing this so heavily this morning is because there is a false teaching out there. There is a false doctrine out there that says we are all equal. We are all equal. There are no leaders. We all can just do whatever we want to do. And I'm sorry to say, as that would be so much easier for me, that's not Scripture. And we're not going to go there, but if you're not sure of how seriously God takes rebellion, go read about the time when Miriam said that she can hear God's voice too, and she doesn't need Moses. Spoiler alert, that story ends with Miriam with leprosy, and Moses praying for her forgiveness to God. That's how seriously... God takes the authority that he gives out. It's not that we're, I showed you, it's not a special character. We are not special people. We are not supernatural. We are not God. We are just human beings. But God in his wisdom, in his pattern, takes it seriously. And so should we. Last one, just to make sure. You want to go and read John chapter uh, three, John. Three John. It's only one chapter. If you go read verse nine and ten. If we actually jump to, it talks about this guy Diotrephes. If you jump to verse ten, the next verse, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to, and puts them out of the church. That's the lead elder. That's an apostle. That's the, that's the man who lay on Jesus' chest talking about one of the lead elders in one of the churches. That's the authority he carries. So let's close our eyes. And what I want to ask right now and the reason we close our eyes is because this is a time for you to open your hearts up to Jesus and to be available to what He's speaking into you. But I want to ask for two responses. And the first response I want to ask is, when you were listening to the qualifications of a deacon... Did any of those qualifications make your heart twitch? Dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain, sober-minded, not slanderers, faithful in all things, serving well in the household of God. While you were hearing those qualifications, was anything in you that was like, whoa, I'm not there, I don't do that, that doesn't sound like me, right now you have an opportunity to stand before Jesus and open the door to your heart. Because there are two doors that Jesus talks about, the door to the church and the door to your own personal heart. And right now, I can tell you, Jesus is welcome in this place. The door is wide open for him to come into this church. The question is, is your heart wide open for him to come into your heart? And so we asked earlier if there's anybody here who wants to give their life to Jesus. And so I'm trusting that everybody here present has already done that. You've opened the front door. But is every door available to God in the household of your heart? Or are you still holding back? And if you are holding back anything... Today is the day that God wants to bring you into freedom, because the devil has told you a lie. He's told you that it's good to hold on to your own stuff. Like he told Adam and Eve, it's good to eat of the fruit, to be equal with God. But as we heard this morning, it's not good to try to be equal with God. It is good to open up your heart and let God do what He wants to do. And if you do that— He will use you for his glory and you will see amazing things happen, signs and wonders and all sorts. So, I want to ask this morning if you this morning are struggling with a part of your heart that you haven't handed over yet and you've missed the standard, will you stand with me? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Don't be shy. There's plenty of people standing already. You're not alone. But if you're feeling like you've fallen short of what God has for you, stand with me. Because the beautiful, honest truth is that you don't have to fall short. You don't have to struggle with the things that you struggle with. You can stand in complete freedom. And then the second thing I want to ask while everybody's still standing and eyes are still closed... If you have suddenly had a revelation of how Jesus sees leaders in his church, and maybe you're a leader in the church and you need to repent because you've taken it lightly and you've kind of been winging it and seeing it as a bit of a joke. Or maybe you're a saint and you haven't seen it before and you've been like, ah, you know, we don't really need those people, they just need to be needed, so we'll let them be needed. And for the first time, you're suddenly seeing. hold on, God has a pattern. And that pattern is for some men and women to be over others. And if you need to repent of seeing authority wrongly, either as a leader or as a follower, then can you also please stand with us? There's anybody here that needs a fresh, a fresh revelation of the authority that God has given to his leaders? Don't be shy. This is between you and Jesus. Because I can tell you, if you submit your life to Jesus like you've never done before, (laughs) He will use you. Because the best kind of leader is a good follower. That's not a bumper sticker, that's God's pattern. As we humble ourselves, as we lay our lives down the way Jesus laid His life down, that's the pattern we get given of service. As we do that, God raised him up. It says in in Philippians, the Father raised Jesus above all other things because he put put himself below all other things. Okay, cool. Let's pray together. For those that are standing, well done for standing. Well done for giving of yourself to God and being available. But let's all open our hands. Even those that are sitting, let's all get involved. And we can all pray together. You can pray after me. Thank you, Father God, that you sent your Son, Jesus, to die for me, a sinner, full of sin, full of muck, an enemy of you, and yet you sent your Son so that I could be free. Thank you for my freedom. I want to ask right now, God, for more of your freedom. Will you pour your revelation by your Spirit into me right now in Jesus' name? I repent of where I've fallen short, where I've seen you wrongly, where I've seen me wrongly, where I've seen the church wrongly. Help me to see things your way so that I can glorify you with all that I am. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.